Well, good morning. If you turn to Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by, by all nations for my name's sake. And then... Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You'll catch your death of cold. I was warned that, as many of you were as well, uh, as a kid, never to go outside in the winter with wet hair. Or always wear your mitts, always wear your hat, your boots, your parka. You'll catch your death of cold, mom would say. The common cold is an ancient and frequent illness, uh, which seems to go around especially during the winter. And that's why in the 16th century, it began to be called the cold. You've caught the cold. People equated the cold outside with the cold inside and would say, I caught the cold. You know what else is cold? Death is cold. In the final days of a dying person's life, circulation reduces and that blood is focused inwardly on the internal organs, which leaves the skin very cold to touch. And of course, after death, the body cools down rapidly. It's called the death chills. Notice in our text in verse 12, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow 
cold. What was warm is dying. It's cooling. It's growing cold. Now, the disciples of Christ didn't yet understand about the cross and the suffering of Jesus for our sins and his death and his resurrection and ascension into heaven. What they were expecting at this point in the narrative was the immediate reign of Christ. Two days before, they'd been welcomed into Jerusalem with hallelujahs, if you remember. And they are prepared to take up whatever position Jesus assigns them in his administration, in his rule. And they are shocked to learn, as Jesus tells them, that the temple is going to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left upon another. What Jesus begins to do is to slow them down. To slow them down. He says in verse 6, Specifically, the end is not yet. <laughs> he says in verse 8, these are the beginning of birth pains. Slow down. Jews would call, uh, had, had a, uh, a saying about the birth pangs of the Messiah. That was common language. The birth pains of Messiah. And Jesus says, look at, these are but the beginning of the birth pain. So he takes uh, uh, the idea off of that phrase and he slows them down. And he gives them quickly an overview of historical events that are always present to some degree at any time in human history. He says, first of all, uh, about false messianic figures. Look at verse 5. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. They will lead many astray. And throughout history, there's always a self-appointed messiahs, claimants, freelancing religious leaders, uh, claiming the devotion of those who will follow them. He's saying, be careful. Don't be led astray by them. They're always going to be around. And then he talks about disasters caused by men in verse 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. These are man-caused violence and hardships that come upon the human race because of the fallenness of man. Look at if it's Afghanistan right now and the strife and struggles of every sort. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11, a horrible man-caused event. And thirdly, he speaks of disasters that occur in creation. He says in verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And then he says there will be famines, and earthquakes in various places. Oh, Haiti is one, for example, seems to have their regular assignment of awful uh, disasters from earthquakes to hurricanes to tidal waves. And there's volcanoes and there's fires, all fires out west, all sorts of disasters 
in nature. We're not sure yet where COVID might fall. Is it a disaster caused by man or is it a disaster of nature? Of course, it was allowed by God for his purposes. And Jesus is telling his disciples to slow down. We are in it for the long haul. There are many events that are going to happen and continue to happen before the birth pangs really get going. This is normal in a fallen world. And our progressive modernity is not going to stop these things from happening, though our culture and times is very vain and there's going to be messianic figures, natural disasters, man-caused disasters, and not one of them is the end. They are normal to the condition of fallen man, normal to a fallen world. But then, notice verse 9, then he uses the word then. This is an adverb, and it means subsequently. It's sort of like now he's getting more particular and more focused. That something now is creating a time marker. This came before, but then. And what he's going to tell us about is that things are going to begin to happen that are abnormal, that are more focused. And it affects us particularly as his disciples. Then, he says, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Well, we know there's always persecution in some degree of Christians somewhere in the world. Right now, Afghanistan, Nigeria, Etria, other places, China, persecution is happening. But that's normal. This, he begins to say, is abnormal. And particularly, you notice the escalation that he mentions. He says, you will be hated by all nations. All. That's comprehensive. And it's a description, an expectation that is vast. Martyrdom and worldwide hatred against disciples of Christ. You know, suddenly this seems more plausible in these present days, doesn't it, than it did a few years ago. Even in Canada, where we had some 50 churches burned and people in power said it was understandable. It suddenly seems possible more than it used to, even here in our own country, that Christians will be hated because we don't agree with certain immoralities. We don't agree with certain behaviors. I mean, the the abortion issue, for one, is becoming uh, a linchpin, a pivot point. And then he speaks distressingly in verse 10, and then, you notice, this is what comes after then, then, Many will fall away. He's speaking of disciples of Christ. And they will betray one another and hate one another. These are self-identifying Christians. Good churchgoers 
who are going to apostasy, fall away. They're going to rebel against God. It's not that they're losing their salvation. It's just that they're revealing that they had a lack of salvation. And it's the same word here that's used in 2 Thessalonians. It says, where Paul says that no one deceive you in any way, that they will not come unless the rebellion or the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. And there's hatred here and painful betrayal within the body of Christ as the cost to be a Christian becomes greater and greater in our society. As it becomes, we become more on the fringes. As we become more restricted, there's going to be even, we pray it not be the case, but even here, some who will fall away, who will turn away, and not only turning away, but they will hate those who stay with Christ. They will betray those who stay with Christ. They will hate those who don't abandon their faith as they have. Jesus says in Matthew 10, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father, his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And then he speaks in verse 11 of liars and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. That is, they will proclaim lies, pseudo prophetess is the word. They're not real, they're pseudo. They're gonna say things people wanna believe. They're gonna say things Christians wanna believe, self-identifying Christians, ears waiting to be tickled, told that they're okay or that it's okay to say what the world says, do what the world does, believe as the world believes, satisfy your desires and your lusts, and it's all okay. Some will fall away because of persecution. They won't be willing to pay the cost. Some will be led astray by false prophets. But then we have in verse 12, our verse this morning, don't we? And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. This love is first of all a love that believers are to have. This isn't speaking of the love of in the world. It's speaking of believers. It's a love in a spiritual sense. The word here is taken from the word soul or psyche. And the context leads us to understand that the disciples are the one to have this love and that this love is actually directed towards God. It's a love for God. Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And what he's saying is that Christians are going to be coolly towards God. And what burned hot is extinguished. What was warm becomes cold. And cold love is a dead love. 
And we know this cold love he describes is directed towards God because what causes it, he tells us, is lawlessness. And because lawlessness will be increased. This is the word anomia, and it's used typically for the will of God, the law of God, the precepts of God, God's law. And so what he's describing here is that there will be growing within some who call themselves Christians and has a hostility towards God's will and God's ways and God's word. A hostility. That is, God can't tell me what to do. God can't run my life. I don't care what God says. The world says this, God says this, I'm going to go with the world. John Piper says, there is an increase of hostility towards authority in our land. An increase in hostility towards authority. And we see it in the population's attitude towards government and even towards basic civil society, civil rules. You see it in the amount of litter on the side of the road. People just don't care about societal norms anymore. You see it, and I hear it on my street, this young people swearing vilely and towards their parents. We see it in petty thievery and shoplifting and all of these things that reveal a hostility towards authority and that they're going to do whatever they want to do and not submit to the laws. I'll be a law unto myself. I'll make my own rules. And we can see it in some churches too where church leaders are exhausted by the demands of conflict and God's people becoming ungovernable because they've picked up the anti-authority spirit of the age. I mean, I've seen over the past year or two, church leaders here pour themselves into people giving them time, giving them an ear, giving them wisdom and counsel, giving them prayer. And as soon as the church leader says something or that that person doesn't like, well, off they go and they slander them and they off they go and a, a great rage and a huff of how horrible all those people are to them instead of celebrating and honoring those who gave so much to them. Jesus is saying that even amongst Christians, there's a growing refusal to submit to God's authority that's going to characterize the last days. And they won't care what the Bible says, and they won't follow what the Bible says, and they won't respect the God of the Bible. 
and they won't obey the God of the Bible and they will justify themselves and they will make excuses for themselves and make allowance for their themselves. It's interesting that the Bible depicts the Antichrist as the man of lawlessness. Same word, lawlessness. He's an authority unto himself and will not submit to the authority of the true God. The scripture says, he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple proclaiming himself to be God. You see that anti-authority nature. He rebels against God and he despises God's exalted state. And so he seeks to elevate himself above God. And that's part of the spirit of Antichrist and that pride and arrogance and being a law unto himself. Self-sufficient and dismissive of God's command. We know this is true in our neighbors and our coworkers and our fellow community members. The scripture says that they're set, they're, the mind is set on the flesh, is hostile to God, and it won't submit to God's law. It's fundamental. They won't submit to God's righteousness. But Christians are those who have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we of all people, we have, are the people who welcome his sovereignty, who, who delight in his rule and his reign and his word. And, and knowing that in following his word, are we only then truly free? Oh, over and over, Jesus puts love and following the law of God, that is being obedient to God, God's commands. He draws a direct line or an equals uh, uh, equation. He says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. Oh, wow. He's not saying that you say you love God. He says, this is the love of God, that you obey him. His commandments are not burdensome, he says. And over and over, love for God is expressed through obedience to his commands, to respect his authority and, and to express our utter dependence upon him. If you love me, Jesus said, well, say it with me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see the equation he draws. It's the same one here. Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him, make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, you see. Jesus Christ is the great example of one who kept the word of God and kept the will of God. What he heard, this is what he spoke. He did, came to do the Father's will and, and he was the lawful one, the one who fulfilled the law and the prophets. And he always did the will of the Father. Jesus said these words, 
I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Wow. He wants everyone in the world to know that he loves the Father. And the way we know that is he keeps the Father's commands. And he was obedient to the point of death, wasn't he? You know, brothers and sisters, the days ahead we expect are going to be very troubled indeed. And we won't make it through without honoring him and submitting to him and his rule and his reign. We don't want to slip by degrees into death. You know, the fall of mankind involved the lie that we can become our own God, that we can rule ourselves, that we know what's best for ourselves. And God's goodness in the garden, his care, his protection, his fellowship, his high regard of us, all of it was rejected. Adam and Eve believed there was life apart from God, that they could create their own path, though that path led to death. And people around us are the same. We used to be like that, rejecting God, caught up in distractions and fear, frustrations and suffering and shame and desperately trying to control our lives, that which is so out of control, hiding from God and then blaming God. Kevin Schreier says, outside the garden, there is only confusion and mankind is at a loss to understand his true calling and direction in life. And we know mankind has fallen away from love of God into love of self. He says this in Thessalonians, Timothy, for people will be lovers of self, money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, goes off on a long list. And he says lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, it's been said that the human species is a dying species. And he, Christ, entered the world to give us life. He gave life through his death. And if you don't know him as Lord and Savior of your life, if he's not your God, the one you follow, will you not love him? You were made by him and you were made for him. It's like there's a compass in every human heart and it points north towards him. He put eternity in our hearts. And there are times, and even some of you who don't know him, there are times when you whisper to him. There are times when you put your head on your pillow and your thoughts are carried toward him. 
there are times when no one can hear you and you wonder, can he hear you? There are times when you're angry at him and other times when you so long for him. Will you not love him? To love him, you must do his will. And his will is that you put your faith in the Savior, his Son. That's the first step of obedience. To repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ who died for your sins. You know, your compass is taking you here and there, east and west and south. And it's all confused and taking you on paths that lead to death. You need to get on the right path, the right way. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And he will give you life. He will give it abundantly. He says in verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. He says that because there's going to be a lot of challenge and trial. And there are going to be a lot who claim Christ, who reject Christ. There's going to be a lot who go to church and and not going to go anymore. And that lack of faith will be revealed. The cost will be too high. He says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And we witness to the end. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. That's the nations who hate us because of Christ. And then, he says, the third then, and then the end will come. Winter is coming, and it's almost here. It's getting cold out there. You know, I was in a pool yesterday doing a last cleaning before I covered it for the winter. The thermometer on the surface said 72 degrees. So I hopped in to vacuum it out. But I can tell you that the warm up here was not down here. And I found that out very quickly. Down towards my feet, it was cold, too cold. My feet were aching. The colder nights, of course, had brought the temperature down and the warmer water was on top. It was warm cool and cold. Left to itself, I know where things are going. I know where things are headed. Eventually, everything is going to freeze. One big block of ice. The death chill. And Jesus is telling his disciples that many who say they follow him are going to reject his rule and his authority. And they're going to, in rejecting him, fall out of love with him. By degrees, 
Each day, a little warmth is gone. Each day, uh, a little colder. Until love is completely gone. We are not of that people. We must not be. You must not be. That's not us. It's cold out there. It's cold out there every day. It can be cold in here towards God. Don't catch your death of cold. Humble yourself. Reaffirm and reignite your love of his rule and reign. Obey him. Love his word. Think with the mind of Christ, not the mind of the world, and follow him. Grade one, I've said before, I was asked to write a prayer in class, grade one religion class, and I wrote this, I love you, Lord. Please help me to love you more. Would you bow with me? We love you, Lord. Oh, let our hearts burn within us. Let our lamps be kept burning. Oh, Lord, in these days ahead, let not a single lamp go out here at People's Church. Fortify us and encourage us in the fellowship of the saints. Help us to stand together as the world bears down on us and as we're so exposed to their thinking and their absurdities and their own confusions and and so many, oh Lord, broken lives out there. Let it not be in here together. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he saved us by his blood. He's sanctifying us and purifying us, a people for his own possession. And Lord, uh, we express together that we love you. Help us, O Lord, to love you more. In Jesus' name, amen.